0: Today, we're going to be in Acts 17, the second half of Acts 17. We're we'll going to be looking at verses 60, I mean, 60, 16 through 34. Um, today, like this passage, it has so many things that could be discussed and talked about in it. But as I was praying through, like, God, what do you want to be brought out from this passage for our church family today? He was. Kind of like just be basic and get to the really like just what is Paul doing and what's he sharing? Because I think oftentimes we take a task and make it too difficult. Uh, In my life, anytime I have a project at home, I ramp it up in my head to like the nth degree and I want it to be like, I have like a, uh, a perfection desire for almost everything. Like I want it to be nice and just like. And I I can't get over it. And then, so like even yesterday, we were uh, uh, taking our girls' beds. They had like bunk beds and we were taking them down. And I was like, (laughs) I was really worried that this is about to like, we're going to have to take these beds completely apart now. Because y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever put together like a, a crib or something like that, it's like there's always that one screw that's in the worst spot possible. And it's like, how am I supposed to get a tool in there to do anything with that? And so yesterday, I was really worried about that, but it ended up being a lot more basic. Megan said, "Hey, it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll get it." And it didn't take as long as I thought. But I feel like we do that with God's Word oftentimes, and I think we do that even in the subject we're talking about today—reaching people with the gospel. We make it so much more difficult than what it is. We put so many things that, like, we want and think it should be like, and today God wants us to look at Paul and see what he presents and apply this to our lives so guess what guys this is a big five-pointer sermon today uh, each one about three minutes long <laughs> uh, the, uh, no just give you a heads up point one is probably the longest and then each one like gets shorter it seems like as it goes down. so it's gonna be like a, a ten point eight point uh, I mean ten minute eight minute. Five minutes, it's going to shorten, okay? Just give you a heads up, okay? So, uh, just know, uh, if it's long at first, it, I'm not going to spend forever. When we get done with point one, you're like, we're we're about to, we need to go to lunch now. I know, that, well, we'll be good. Okay, so Acts 17, 16 through 34, if you will, read it with me after I pray. God, I thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak it to our hearts now. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your truth, and Lord, that we would apply it, Lord, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, <clears throat> and cause us to be a people that go and share your gospel with the world around us, that we would not be content with living the normal day-to-day lives we've been living if the gospel's not a part of it. God, I ask that you give us a brokenness for our community, for the people around us, or we would see Lord, the lostness of our world. And Lord, we would want to go and take the good news to them. God, may you do something special in our message tonight, uh, today and in our hearts as we read through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 16 through 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. I always have trouble saying it. Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they had heard of the resurrection of of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius Dionysius and the Areopagite, and women named Damaris and others with them. Sorry for the struggling of the reading there. But I want you to see and hear today that God wants us to share with others. And I believe God wants us to realize that we make it harder than it needs to be. So for first point, point one, me, we must want to share. We must want to share. I say this is the first point and the longest point because this is the one I feel like God is saying to us today is our issue. Acts 17 verse 16 says, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Paul saw the worship of idols all around him. And I want you to see, the first thing when he got to Athens, he did not see the beauty of Athens and its architecture. It's not what drew his attention. See, Paul had this Christ-centered worldview in everything in his life. And he saw that when he landed in this area, that their view was not Christ-centered; it was everything else, and they worshiped all these gods. So, one of these th- one of the things a Christian worldview consistently reveals is that our world is filled with idols. Do we have a Christian worldview that says our world is filled with idols? Underneath sin problems, relational problems, and intellectual problems is a profound worship problem a christian's worldview should, should stem from god being the creator of all things so it makes sense for the worship of those creatures to be for the creator rather than created things but this has been a continual issue for our, us as people over time romans 1 24-25 says therefore god gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is to be blessed forever. So I want you to see, Paul, as he steps in, he sees a people who have no desire to worship the God that he knows, the God who has saved him, and he's broken. It says he's provoked to move. This reminds me of a time when we went to Italy years ago. Paisley was turning, was it one or first or second birthday? I don't remember. First or second birthday. We went to Italy and um, man, you, you could talk about like idol worship and things like, but when you experience it, it hits home in a different way. So I had heard these things about how like the Roman Catholic Church had just given in to, like, just, it's nominalism completely. It's just they say they're Roman Catholic there in Italy, and no one really cares about things, and uh, no one goes to worship, those types of things. Well, and do, do mass. Well, we we were there, like, you go in, and you see the brokenness and the idol worship that actually takes place. So all their hope is is going and sending prayers to saints here in these, like, beautiful beautiful built cathedrals of worship that were meant to be like directed towards God but then it became so much more uh, about idols and so there's all these statues to saints that have been rubbed to death where like it, it's dirty in all these areas and then you see where their hand has rubbed so many times that it's It's like to the core of the uh, metal that uh, exists there on on that statue. And you you see this brokenness. And like when we're in these, uh, the people that we were with, uh, we we were in these like cathedrals. And they're like taking pictures. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I'm like, I can't. Like, I'm not okay with taking pictures of this beautiful beautiful like building and architecture and stuff because I, I see the brokenness of these people here that, that they they think that these saints are going to somehow gain them favor before God and they're that they're going to answer their prayers and, and and they're just broken. it's people just hopeful in nothing something that won't bring hope and that's what we're doing here in America it's constant. We are hoping in things that will not bring hope. And let me say, it's not just our culture, it's in the church too. We constantly seek after things that won't satisfy our souls. We try to find that hope in our kids. They'll bring joy to our lives. Or our spouses, they'll bring joy to our lives. Or our jobs, it will bring joy and satisfaction. But church family, it won't. And it cannot satisfy that longing that is deep within us. And what I want to ask is, do we see the idol worship around us? Idols aren't just statues worshipped at shrines, but substitute gods in our lives. Functional saviors that take place of the one true living God. And it can take place in any type of thing. It could be a person. It can be a drive for sex or pleasure or food. An all-consuming allegiance to a sports team, to the pursuit of education, and an obsession over an individual. Do we see these idols in our culture, church family? Do we see it even in our own hearts? I think we often miss the idols in our culture because we're participating with them. So I want to ask, I want you to be honest with yourself. To you and God, what are your idols? Where are you participating in the idol worship that you obviously can't see is happening within the culture because you're doing it yourself? The reality is, is when we see the idol worship in the world around us, it should provoke us and cause us to want to share. Paul here, it says he's provoked in this passage, and the word for provoked here is actually a really hard word to translate, because it it has some different meanings, and it kind of means like angry, but there's also an anger with care connotation to it, and so I believe it's kind of a mix of those in this situation. It hurt Paul that he saw these people were were worshiping things and it angered him at the same time because they're worshiping something that's not going to bring joy and they're bringing others along with them. It hurt Paul for the people and for God. These idols steal God's glory still the people's joy see we need the spirit to work on our hearts people church family this is us do we really care about the lostness in the world around us so much that we are motivated to speak see Paul was so motivated in this moment that he uh, uh, It's not directly said But if you remember in the last verse of uh, 17 or what we did last week, 1715, he calls for his brothers to come in a hurry to be with him because he got there and saw, oh, man, this is bad. And I need some help. Like it it, it hit me like, man, Paul was so moved. He's like, I need y'all to come. Church family, do we really care? Because if we really care it moves us to do something an example of that in my life happened this week when we took our kids to the fair for some reason when i got in college like motion sickness became a thing in my life when i got on rides, i have never had an issue like ride any roller coaster the dumbest state fair stuff that like feels like you're gonna fly off at some point as it's cracking and all kinds of junk you know like I've told my kids, I'm never doing that, and guess what, on like Tuesday night of this past week, I'm right there with Paisley, riding along, but I was like, I told them before we got there, like, I don't want to do this, and they get me on this dumb dragon roller coaster thing first, (laughs) and it has, if you go, just be aware, you take one first turn, and the second turn just whips you, and I'm talking about, this is like the kid roller coaster, like, Beckett's riding it with us so like but that second one just uh, it hits you 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 get the g you know it's probably like one g at that point and I I don't really have a clue but it hits you and man it takes you around that thing probably eight times or something like that it might have been more than that and I rode it and I was like oh goodness I feel awful already and my girls are lit up with excitement though and so then we go to the next ride and the next ride and they get me on the dumb swings, and I had to ride a Pays, and then I had to ride pity. <laughs> like They both wanted me to do separate rides, so I ride the swing thing that goes way up high in the sky, and it pulls some Gs on you as you're spinning around, blah, blah, blah. And then we take the one ride that like goes around. I've done that one many times, and at that point, I'm kind of like, I'm feeling it. Penny kind of like, I don't feel great, Dad. You know, and so we eat some. I eat a pole of sausage at the fair. Duh, right? Yeah, when you're feeling bad, you eat something like that, right? Well, then, the whole time, Pay's has been like, there's this ride back over here. that is the, the biggest ride at the fair. If you drive by, you would see it or whatever. I don't even know what it was called. Do you all remember what it's called? Speed XL. I thought that might be, but then I wasn't sure if that was the right name of it. Because I remember it said Speed, and they had like Double XL like right here. It was... It was fast, though. So you get in it, and you go like this, and it just flips you a little bit, and you go, and you go. But, like, it's super high. I don't know. I mean, any, any idea how tall that was? 40 Whatever 40 meters is. So, uh, so you're flying. I mean, you're going fast on this thing. And you're way up, and it drops you down, and at the same time you're flipping. I mean, you're pulling some Gs on this thing. Well, I was already not feeling it. And good thing Courtney's there. Courtney's like, yeah, I'll do it with you, Paisley. And so Paisley and her go do it. And Paisley gets off, and I saw how excited Paisley was, and she's like, Dad, do it with me. Pais. And guess what? I got on it. And guess what? I did not get sick. I was proud of myself. But I wasn't scared of the ride. I just was going to feel miserable. And didn't really want to feel miserable. Do you know why I did it? Because I love Paisley. I care so much about that little girl. And I saw the smile that she was going to have when I did it with her. That's why I did it. You do things when you care about something, it overcomes that fear or the pain or whatever the thing is. If you really care, it trumps whatever the the thing that hold is holding you back so church family there is a lost and dying community around us that needs the gospel given to them they need to hear and we care so little and god needs to break our heart for our community church it would cause us to go and I talked to you guys about a month ago about, I felt like God was calling us to go door-to-door, or calling me to go door-to-door, and if you want to join along, come. So yesterday, Matthew and I went out for the very first time. Thank you, brother. And let me tell you, my eyes were open, actually, to something I didn't expect, and I talked to Matthew about this. An area of brokenness that I didn't expect in our community that I saw yesterday Was a loneliness. Like a lot of people. Are just lonely. And they're doing it on their own. They just want people to come to them. (laughs) And it was a realization of. Man why haven't I been doing this before now. Why have I not been spending my life doing this. Because you know the COVID time. It really shut people down. And and it seems like everybody kind of stayed in that trap. To some degree in their life. Church family, there is a broken and lost world around us. And first, if we're going to share the gospel with them, we must first care about them. I don't know where that lands. On you. But I know it was true for Paul. He was willing to lay it on the line because he saw the need and said, they are lost without Jesus. And he was Provoked to do something about it church family or we provoked to go Secondly we must connect with people so we must share we must or care about people and then we must connect with people in 17 through 23 we see this Paul went to the marketplace he went into the marketplace in the synagogue he went to the place where people would be Why? Because he was broken for people, and his response to the brokenness was to go to the people. His response was not to go hide and try to avoid people and just pray for them on the side, but was to go to them. He saw a problem, and he went to address it, and guess guess what happened? He got mocked a little bit they called him a babbler because they couldn't really get what he was talking about he was just the dude talking about a lot of different stuff is what they were saying but he was willing to talk i want you to say i want you to realize we don't have an ability just to talk to people anymore i saw a um uh uh, i think it was a tweet earlier uh, this week where it was a picture of people on the beach back in like the '80s, I guess. I, I don't really remember what the uh, time frame was, but a picture of people on the beach on the '80s, and it's like a packed beach, and they're all just talking to each other, like hanging out. And the caption on it was like, "Look, there's no phones. What are people doing with themselves?" And it was a realization of they weren't just sitting here doing this, but they're looking at each other in the eyes and just talking to one another. And it was like, wow, the I mean, realistically, like, even when we go out to lunch or go and do things with people, we're constantly still on our phones and interacting with our phones and and losing attention with people. So we just, we miss the ability just to talk with people. Like, it, it there's, I'm, I'm not talking about, like, small talk either. Like, how's the weather, you know, you know that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just talking about genuinely caring about another individual and what's going on in their lives like hey Seth I want to know what's happening in your life like how's the week been genuinely like talk to me like let's talk and then let me bring it back up and let me care about what you care about not for me to be able to get my what I want to say in, just to care about you the church family we're really bad about this now like we need to just care about people and genuinely care about what they're saying so that we can talk with them and paul went in to ask questions and then to get the opportunity to share the gospel see he spoke with different types of peoples we can see here so uh john stott um says this uh about this section of scripture to oversimplify it it was uh he, he's talking about the epicureans and the stoics it was the characteristic of the Epicureans to emphasize chance, to escape, and to find enjoyment and pleasure. In the Stoics, it was to emphasize fatalism, submission, and enduring pain. So, two opposite groups of people. One group says it feels good to do it and there are no consequences, while the other group says, grin it and bear it, there's nothing you can do about life, anyways. Both worldviews were hopeful, hopeless and meaningless, but they were complete opposites of one another. But Paul was able to connect with both groups. I want you guys to get that. He's connecting with both completely opposite viewpoints of life. But he's able to connect with people. We must ask questions to know someone, to know what they believe. And so this goes back to our training that we did back in the last summer, the Colombo tactic. Y'all remember that? So the colombo tactic this is I'm going to give you some basics of just sharing the gospel with someone. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Like you you ask them the question, what do you believe about Jesus? And then you let them respond and then you say, what do you mean by that? And it causes them to make a stance of what they believe. And then you say, how did you come to that conclusion so that they really have to identify like why did I become to believe this? And you're able to address and have a conversation. So the Colombo tactic, we can talk about more. But asking the question, what do you believe about something? What do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? That in of itself, if we can keep those things in our mind as we talk with people and engage with them, it will help tremendously in our lives as we try to share the gospel. See, he connected here with their idea of an unknown God. This culture, he saw something in the culture, he grabbed onto it and said, you guys know you're looking at, for this unknown God or you worship this unknown God? Well, guess what? I know him. So he he just connects with something that they know when they connect to. So we have to know what can, they connect to to be able to share with them. Okay. Thirdly, we must show them God, 24 through 25. Let me read this part again to you. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The Areopagus, it's a location in Athens where ideas would be discussed, ideas would be debated. Also known as Mars Hill, if you've uh, heard that phrasing Sometimes they would hold court there to determine if an idea was worth considering. And Athens was known for wanting new information and liking new ideas and adding it to their knowledge base. And so he begins with these people at the basic. See, we make it about so much more other stuff. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to share about? He begins with God, the creator of everything. He begins with God, the creator. And let me just spoil the rest of the message to me. He goes to who humanity is and our need for a savior and then he goes to repentance he calls them to repent basic church family we've talked about this before but hear me if we can't get the first part we can't get to this part that's why i said it's so critical if we don't care then it's just like we we won't ever get here Paul begins his address with creation, asserting that God made the world and everything in it. Regarding the Stoics, Paul states that God is distinct from his creation. And then to answer the Epicureans, Paul states that God is not aloof, but uh, involved within his creation. See, this would be new to them, a single God over everything. And then he goes down the path of God is the sustainer of everything. He does not need us. We need him. He gives us everything we need life and breath everything so he sets this high view of God and God being one God not multiple gods that they worship you ever been in the middle of cooking a dish and realize you missed some crucial steps at the beginning process yeah like you missed the eggs or the milk halfway through and you're like can I add it at this point reality is church family is If we don't begin here, that's what we're doing. If people don't have a basic understanding of who God is, the creator of this universe, they won't understand their need for salvation. If you don't realize that you've sinned against the holy God, the creator... You can't understand your need for salvation. And that's why God gets tacked on, or Jesus gets tacked on in people's lives. They don't understand that they've sinned against the holy God, and he's just the God to make them feel better. To make their world just, they can get the new job, a dude that they can pray to. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the savior of our souls because we sinned against the holy God. As we share, we must show them who God is. And in light of God, we must then show humanity. So step four is we must show them humanity. We're made from God. And God, has, he tells them we've been made by God. And God has determined our times and allotted our place in the world. And we are to seek after him. God is knowable to us. Like, we can know him. He has given us his word. And Paul's trying to show them through illustrations that they can know God. And he first quotes uh, one of the, their poets, and then he quotes a different poet to show them an illustration that they can connect with. They believe in a creator God of them, of humanity, but it's ones that they've created. They create their own gods And so then it gets into what our sin is. At the very end of verse 29, it says, For we indeed, his offspring, being then gods of offspring, we ought to not think, being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. See, this is their their thing. They thought highly of themselves, and they had created their own gods, man doesn't that sound american we sure do think highly of ourselves and we sure do create a lot of gods for us to worship football teams man like the reality that we we just stir up things and create things so that we can worship the thing that we created like That is our lives as people, is what we do. We try to find something to worship when we've been given the one to worship. He created us for that act, but we try to give it to all these other things. And then we like to create our own thing that we can worship. Our view should be God is the creator and sustainer, not some golden image. So get the picture here church family god is i mean paul is not sharing some weird like dog and pony show he's not trying to make them feel good he's simply presenting the gospel he's not trying to be liked by these people he's not trying to be their best friends he simply wants to share with them he wants them to see the truth he wants to see them to see god that he knows not one that they've created and then he wants to show them their need for him he wants to show them that they've run from their creator and that they've sinned against the holy and infinite God. So church family, like, is that our goal? To show people our Savior and our God? Or is it to show them ourselves? Because here, man, we we talked about this some in our family, but like, we don't do things because we are shameful of ourselves. We don't go and speak because we're afraid we're going to mess up. We don't go and say the thing because we think, oh, they know me for real. It's not about us. It's about our God and our Savior. It's not about how good we look. It's not about saying the right words. It's simply saying there is a God that you are not pursuing who's called us to worship Him. You were created for Him. And there's a Savior that saves you from that sin of idol worship of other things. But we make it about so much about us. Our hesitancy to share is probably the biggest issue it trumps our love for people the shame of ourselves trumps our love for people i want you to realize that is just complete opposite of the gospel because we are deserving of shame because we are sinful we aren't good that is the truth of the gospel and the real truth is is but even in light of that our savior came and died for us while we were still yet sinners christ died for us taking away the shame like we are people who deserve shame but we don't hold on to our shame because we have a savior who has died for it so we don't lean on who we are we lean on who he is and so we share because of who he is not because of who we are does that make sense like but the shame is what holds us back. We hold ourselves back. Our desire for like, we're not good enough holds us back from sharing. But that's completely against the gospel. Lean on him. Trust in him and he will take us to go share. <clears throat> Sorry for getting excited for a second. Last point. <laughs> Last point. We call them to repentance in Jesus. Thirty-four 30 through 34, we see this. The fact that God will judge has been clearly expressed by Paul. And it's clearly expressed through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul tells the Athenians that God has committed his judgment even to his son jesus who will be the judger of everyone and also their savior get the beauty of that picture the one who is the judge is also the savior it is our righteousness if people will repent the same judge will save them salvation comes through this one man The second Adam, who lived the life we fallen humans couldn't live. And he died the death we deserve and rose on our behalf. We come from one man, Adam, but we turn to one man, Jesus, who is our judge and our savior. God is going to judge this world. Not by our standards, not by what we believe is right, but by his. And that should point us back to the first point. Our family members, our neighbors. The world around us is going to be judged by a holy God. Because of what they've done. It's not that they're innocent. They're not innocent. None of us are innocent. We have all worshipped all kinds of other things in our lives. We choose to seek everything that will give us some type of pleasure for a moment. And we try to find our joy in it. But our God says He is the one that gives full joy. Psalm 1611, it is in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he gave us Jesus to display this truth. He's going to judge the earth. He judged, he put the judgment of the earth on his son. He was willing to do that. But that same judge can save us. And this is critical Christ rose from the dead. We have a risen Savior, not a dead God. And this is the thing that kind of really got them. They started mocking him for this. Oh, he rose from the dead? Like, oh. See, this is the hinge point. This is what separates us from all the other religions, all the other fake junk. That We have a God who's not dead. We don't have a God that's buried in a grave and dust on this earth. But we have a God who rose from the grave and is alive in heaven, reigning over this earth. So church family, let's connect and draw in close to our God that is alive, that has brought life for our souls and gives us fullness of joy. Like, let's get there and he will cause us to go. So I don't know where this message lands and there's a lot I could talk about within this passage. There's a lot of meat here. Go dive into it at home. I would love to hear some conversation about it. You can ask me questions if you have questions. But church family, we're missing it if we're missing the most basic thing here. And it begins with the love and a brokenness for the world around us. We simply take the gospel to people who are lost and in need. I can tell you, I left yesterday after probably having really <laughs> made that joke. He was like, How many uh, slam doors are we going to get today? Like, that's how we started today. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, I think 20. He was like, I, was like, uh, I hope not. <laughs> but as we go, we probably talked to eight different people and we, we got done. And I text success some afterwards. I think I talked the Dalton some about this. I tell, told Megan this. and Me and Matthew talked about it. But, like, to know you're exact, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing in your life. There, there's very few moments in my life where I felt like that. Like, I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in God's will at this moment. You know, like, it's like, man, there's nothing better. There's just a joy that's different. And so we left yesterday just Excited that we got to be a vessel for the Lord. Just going and being used. And no one like prayed with us yesterday and repented of their sin and came to know Jesus. That's not what my job is. My job is just to go. Our job is to go. Church family, there is joy found in it. Let's be a people that go. And I'm not telling you, I, I'm, hear me, really hear this. I am not trying to trumpet to get a lot of you guys with us on Saturday doing this. I'm not, that's not my goal. I want you to do that if God's called you. But what I really want is us to live it every day. In our workplace, in our home, wherever we're at. And it's just an a overflow of our desire for the world around us. To, to, we love our Savior so much and we see the brokenness and we just want to take it to him. There's so great a need. Will we be a people who go? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in the scriptures. I thank you for the example Paul gives us. Lord, I ask that you help us not stir up even the motivation for ourselves, but Lord, that your spirit would. Lord, as we get on our knees, as we pray before you, And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would give us the desire to go. And your spirit would provoke us so that we can't not. Lord, I just ask that you would do something in us. That your spirit would draw our hearts to go. Because we have a Savior who is good. We have a Savior who loves us. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you for Christ. We ask that you would make us ambassadors for him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.